I believe that every athlete in the world is creative. Just look around. And so if I really want to connect and to a happy place, I listen to some of the music that was on, we call it pirate radio station. Float like my jumper wet, sting like a bumblebee, I swing like a lumberjack, go back when I'm up at bat. Uh, when you are in the locker room in every team in Mexico, pick that song to motivate and increase the energy. No juice. Hey, this is Casey Dunow. And this is Peter Dunow. And welcome to the Athletes Playlist, where we ask your favorite athletes about their favorite music. Our guest today is former NFL linebacker and Seahawks legend Lofa Tatupu. Most listeners probably know Lofa, but if not, we'll do a quick intro. He played his college football at USC, where he was a first-team All-American and helped the Trojans win two national championships. And as a Seahawk, he captained the defense, made the Pro Bowl three times, and helped take the team to the Super Bowl in 2005. As someone who grew up watching the Seahawks, I'll be honest, we endured some pretty rough years in the 90s and early 2000s. So I'll always be grateful to him and that era of players as the guy who really turned the corner and gave us a team in the Pacific Northwest to be proud of. So thank you, Lofa. These days, Lofa's staying busy running his CBD startup, Zoned In. After years of wear and tear on the football field, CBDs have been instrumental in helping him stay sharp mentally and physically, and now he's helping others do the same. Lofa, we're stoked to have you on the show. How's it going? Fellas, yeah, appreciate the, quite the intro. Thank you, and uh, and thank you for the kind words, my man. For sure. Always, we always got hype people out this athlete's playlist. As a reminder to listeners, we like to highlight a few songs that have been meaningful to our guests in various times of their lives. We're going to kick off today's episode with Can't See Me by Tupac featuring George Clinton. by Tupac featuring George Clinton. Both those artists are legends in their respective genres, and Tupac in particular is one of the faces of what many consider to be the golden era of hip-hop. As somebody who was born in 82, was a teenager in the 90s, what was it like to experience that era of hip-hop as a young person, and were you aware at the time how legendary these artists would turn out to become? Oh, no, I I think um, it took us all by storm. Um, You know, Pac, Biggie... Um, Jay-Z, even back then, Nas, as some of the other guys that I've alluded to, but for some reason, Pac just resonated with me. Mm-hmm. And um, I think music in general, you kind of gravitate or connect with one that speaks to you. And, you know, guys like Pac and, uh, and Eminem, as you're a young man trying to find yourself in high school, you know, in the you know, formative years, you know, you got a little anger, a little, you know, yeah. uh, testosterone going that you want to release onto the football field. So uh, that track in particular, it also had significance in terms of can't see me because Pac was, you know, telling people they weren't on his level. Right. 
Well, for me, the significance was I I was good at football. I was not great when I was younger. Yeah. And, and so I kind of went unseen. I didn't even really get dra- uh, recruited out of college, out of high school to college. So uh, very limited offers. And then, you know, because this is a song that stuck with me my whole playing career. It was always on my playlist. Um, that when I got to the NFL, I felt like I finally not arrived, but was was in the the shoes of Pac, so to speak. When I, you know I made my first Pro Bowl because I was on a great team. Yeah, and I felt like the the roles had reversed, where people weren't on my level for once. Yeah, it was always yeah. me looking up, right? Yeah. And so that so that was the significance of that song my throughout my whole life. Dang, that's wild. So when you were a kid, you know, first bumping it, maybe in high school, not getting the offers you want. Were you able to draw on that and say, man, he did it. I'm going to just going to channel this energy. Absolutely. It's, um, you know, against all odds, you know, back against the wall, you know, just, you know, I got this. And, um, you know, I think those are some of the moments that you have in your, not just athletic career, but your life where you, you know, you make a decision and, and that decision is to go all in on, on what you love and what you believe in. And for those who don't know, your dad played in the NFL too. And from what you're saying, you're a little bit of a, a late bloomer. So did that add to the pressure of maybe it feeling like you weren't as good as you wanted to be at first on the football field? Oh, absolutely. Um, my dad, he, he cast a large shadow being a 14 year NFL veteran, mm-hmm. a fellow pro bowler himself. And so, um, you know, you hear those things and then you're, if you're, when you're not thriving, which I wasn't when I was younger, um, you know, I, football was not, it was not natural to me. It was something that I very much put the work in and, um, and, and became good at later in life. Um, and that's only through all the reps, right? Uh, the 10,000 hour rule, um, yeah. that baseball was actually my much more natural sport, but I didn't love it. So, um, you know, I, there was something about football. I think the, the, the physical nature of the sport that I was always drawn to. And I think that's why I was drawn to Tupac and his words yeah. and, and many of his songs, the way he represented himself, uh, was, uh, just, a there's a sense of strength, uh, that he had that he carried. No question. There's a physicality to his rapping that I think is really unique specifically to him. So that's an amazing connection. I'm curious, though, I would say most kids or people in general gravitate towards what they're good at. So what do you think was the block for you early on in terms of not being where you wanted to be? What was holding you back and why did you love it even though it was holding you back? I loved it because it was what was what my dad did. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he was my superhero, and um, you know, I, I looked up to him, and I always wanted to do what he did. And just even from a young age, going to his games, and, and seeing it, uh, witnessing it, you know, it was it was very easy for me to turn around and picture myself playing football. Um, you know, with having those dreams. Um, and then, um, I'm sorry, the second part of that Yeah, question. the other part was, what, what were you struggling with when you first started? It's so hard well, for us to picture it now. Yeah, well, I, I was a, a very overweight kid when I was young. Um, you know, uh, Samoan background, we, they tend to be a little bit bigger, uh, you know, bone density and, and right. whatnot. And um, so I was playing with the kids that were, you know, four and five years older than me. And I didn't know that. I thought I was just out there, you know, playing ball. So like the maturity level, um, you know, the experience, a lot of those kids have been playing for five years. 
you know, but I, either way, I was still having fun. And I'm talking, I, I was just getting my ass kicked. Yeah. Like, <laughs> in practice and in uh in the games but i was still having fun with it and like you know i i'm sure a lot of people are like yo what's wrong with this kid but uh <laughs> you know my my dad he was always trying to push me towards baseball but um my mom who we're going to be talking about in, in a couple of these uh songs oh, cool. uh, was very influential with uh you know my mindset and you know just telling me to keep chasing my dreams so uh it was uh, it was challenging to say the least, but eventually, you know, I got to high school and, um, you know, I didn't have to be under a certain weight. I was allowed to just be myself. Oh, for once. yeah. Yeah. Because they know? have those weight limits when you're a youth football player, right? Yeah. Weight that- requirements that, that, that try they try to make it, you know, fair because uh, there are some kids that are overdeveloped. And, you know, if you don't have those weight requirements, they're playing against kids that are the same age, but, you know, 40 pounds lighter, which is, you know, that's quite a difference. They so. need those rules so you don't suit up against guys like Casey and me. Yeah, yeah. We're, the, we're they're barely they're cracking 100 us. pounds heading into high school. So, yeah. <laughs> Though we never yeah. gave it a try for that reason. We were yeah, we knew we were out. We were out. But. Soccer, we got our ass kicked enough for being small. We don't need to <laughs> step onto the football field, probably. <laughs> oh, man. So you talked about your dad, and we, we did a little research before the show, and he was actually, from what we read, born in American Samoa, and you referenced your heritage. So was that heritage a big part of your household growing up? I knew you grew up in New England, but were, was it still integrated with, with your household? Um, I'm largely in New England, other than one of my friends, and you know, um, God rest his soul, he passed away a couple of years ago, but he was a teammate of mine at Maine, uh, Pat Powell. Uh, was the only other Samoan that I would meet in the New England area. Uh-huh. And uh, so um, largely we did not, um, we would take trips back to, to the islands, uh, never to Samoa, but, you know, uh, Oahu, where most of my, my dad's family resides. And, um, you know, we, we would make trips back there. But, um, you know, really that, that cultural, that, that respect, that power, all that, that that's you know, Samoan and Polynesian heritage is known for. My dad definitely taught us uh, along the way, though. That makes sense. And and so are those pillars. I mean, maybe this is a boring question because it gets asked all the time. But, you know, are those pillars why we see so many Samoan athletes in the NFL? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, hard work, you know, love, loyalty, respect. Those are all what, you know, what we stand for as a culture and, um, and, you know, those go a long way in life, not just sports. Uh, but it seems that, uh, you know, a lot of us gravitate towards football because it just, it comes natural for us. And, um, for, for, for most of us anyways, right. I had to work at it. Uh, but yeah, so it was, it was awesome watching him play 14 years. And then on the heels of his retirement, uh, a couple years later, we would see a guy named junior say who, you know, was the reason that I wanted to play linebacker. Absolutely. Legend. Um, Speaking of Massachusetts, you grew up there. However, you went to school at USC. I think your dad also went to school at USC. I know you did a year at Maine, but I couldn't help but notice there's a lot of West Coast hip hop on your playlist. Now, you also said you like Nas, so I know you're not exclusive to the West Coast, but did you have that feeling growing up in Massachusetts? Like, man, I want to make it out West. I know that's where my dad started at USC. Did, was the West Coast calling to you ever? Um, it was because my mom uh, had, in, in high school, had moved out there and, and, and you know, made made life out there. Gotcha. Um, as, you know, my parents, when they divorced, 
my mom moved out there. I stayed back in Massachusetts with my dad. And so um, there was always the want to go to the West Coast, but I never put it together music wise. It just, uh, I just, I just rocked or, or rolled with whoever was, uh, whoever I, I enjoyed listening to. Gotcha. Maybe it was a subconscious thing. I'll, I'm going to, I'm going to claim right? it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Everything happens for a reason. No doubt. We're actually going to play this section out with we picked dr green thumb by cypress hill uh low for let us pick any cypress hill song i'm not gonna lie i went i went to that one just because the slight cbd connection but okay. we don't have to we don't have to focus on that song in particular you just teased us you know talking to you before that you have a great cypress hill story so i'm here to cue it up what is this cypress hill story well so i don't know how old you guys but really where one of the biggest concerts went to a lot of concerts in my life but smoking grooves tour came out around like 96, 97. I think it went for three years. I went all three years. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking, um, you know, up in Massachusetts, so we don't have access to, to everybody. But um, it was Cypress Hill, who, you know, I went to see. But I didn't know that uh, Erica Badu, The Roots, oh. Outkast. Oh. Uh, <laughs> over the span of three years, the people that came through there and like how influential they are on the entire landscape of the music industry, it was insane. Uh, the Fugees, uh, George Clinton was there. Yeah. Um, and, and the P-Funk All-Stars. So, I mean, it was incredible. And so I think it was 90, was it 95 the first year, which was, you know, I was like 13. And so I tell my mom, I was like, yeah, I'm going to go to my first concert. She's like, okay, what is it? I was like, smoking grooves with Cypress <laughs> Hill. <laughs> and she was like, all right, well, I'm going. And I was like, <laughs> nice, nice, nice. I, I was like, wait a minute. But you know, you're 13. You're like, nah, man, I'm going by myself with my friend. She's like, nah, you're not going unless I go. I was like, all right, well, whatever. So we got tickets and we go in and me and my friends, we just go to the seats, my mom and uh, one of her friends are just hanging out. And uh, she was our chaperone, but she's like, just uh, at the end of every, you know, show I want to, or, or set, come back, check in, you know, grab water or whatever. Yeah. I was like, yeah, all right. So uh, it, it, we, we did that a couple of times and at the end of the night, I come back and, um, you know, so there's a dude there, talk, big dude. He's talking to my mom and I was like, hey, who's this guy? And she's <laughs> like, relax. She's like, uh, this is my friend, so-and-so. He's the bodyguard for Cypress Hill. Would you like to meet Cypress Hill? And I was like, you are joking, right? Yeah. 13 years old. Mom, hooking it up. Well, that's okay. So my mom, she's just a hip, hip lady, right? And everywhere she goes, she makes friends. She knows people everywhere, which this is going to come back into play full circle at the end when I talk about Kali. So um, I was like, yeah. So we, me, my boys, we all go back there and we're on the tour bus. And like, they, it was like the first time I'd seen a PlayStation, uh, you know, or a PlayStation 2. I was like, they got all the new toys. It's amazing. And um, as I'm walking back, I see Lauren Hill just sitting there with a guitar, just playing. Uh, And like, I just stopped, like starstruck, like, oh my God, it's Lauren Hill. And I was, I froze. I was too scared to even say anything. But uh, she looked up and I just waved and ran. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, that's the best. What else are you going to do? So be real and all of them just finished their set and they come onto the bus and you know, so we're like exiting, but before we do, he was like, Hey man, you know, what's up, you know, uh, and just starts, starts chopping it up. And so, um, you know, I told him, I was like, Hey man, my dad played ball. He's like, Oh, so you ball. And I was like, yeah, ball. And, uh, mm-hmm. he's like, so you're going to be in the NFL. I go, I'm going to be in the NFL one day. I, and, uh, 
So I don't think, no chance B-Rail remembers this. I don't think anyways, but I was on his tour bus and I told him when I was 12 years old that I was going to go to the NFL and I did. Nice. That might top athletes playlist <laughs> just full stories I've ever heard. That is incredible. The music sports integration. That, you, <laughs> you nailed the whole premise of the show in one story. Well done. I, I do have to ask because I first met you at this media game and I was like, man, Lofa Tatupu, he's a superstar and one of the nicest, most approachable people here. Did you Do you take that meet and greet and apply that to your own life when you're meeting people out on the streets and like, hey, you never know who you could affect if you go and talk to him for a second? Uh, absolutely. If you have a chance to make someone's day, you do it. And um, so um, I and I learned that from watching how my dad, um, you know, how he spoke with with people that were fans of his and and just, uh, you know, he never turned out an autograph, uh, especially not for a kid. We were in the middle of a meeting or a meal and someone come at the table. He got up out of his seat, shook their hand like there was no waving anybody off. And so, um, you know, I think this is that's, you know, I'm glad you brought that up. I think that's something that a lot of guys because how are you supposed to deal with fame or success? Mm -hmm. You know, luckily I got to see it firsthand with my dad, but you know, you could see why some guys they get or upset when their meals, their time with their family is, sure. is interrupted, but it's something that, you know, I'm blessed and fortunate to have gotten to see how to do it the right way. And um, you know, I think they should, they should have a course, you know, in terms of, you know, telling the players, how important you are to, you know, to, to the fans without fans, there is no game, um, you know, which is interesting. We're going to see how that's going to react with you yeah. know, no fans in the stadium. <laughs> really? We won't stop watching though, for sure. Absolutely not. That was Dr. Green Thumb by Cypress Hill. Now we're going to transition to your college years. First track we'll play is How We Do by The Game. Fun fact, since this podcast is about music and sports, The Game was actually recruited to play basketball at Washington State University. And he washed out after a semester, but clearly The Game has game. This is how we do. We make a move and act a fool while we up in the club. This is how we do. Nobody do it like we do it, so show us some love. This is how we do. We make a move and act a fool while we up in the club. This is how we do. Nobody do it like we do it, so show us some love. Fresh like, uh, Impala, uh, chrome hydraulics, 808 drums. You don't want none, nigga better run. When beef is on, I pop that drum. Come get some, pistol grip, pump. If a nigga step on my white air, once it's red rum. Ready, here come, Compton, uh. Dre found me in the slums, selling that skunk, one hand on my gun. I was selling rocks and Master P was saying, oh. That was How We Do by The Game. So that song has a lot of swag, which is something I definitely associate with the great USC teams under Pete Carroll. 
Moreover, this song has references to partying at the club, and I know those USC teams had a bit of a reputation for being out and about on the town. Uh, we may have watched the 30 for 30 doc on that. Um, so, you know, you are seem like a mild-mannered guy, but we, we had to ask, um, were you enjoying the perks of celebrity at USC, or were you really trying to keep a lower profile and stay focused? I, I was a broke college kid, so, um, you know, there's... <laughs> Maybe there was some superstar treatment for some people. I, I was not one of those people. Um, so, but uh, in terms of the song, you know, the game was just coming on the scene and we really were too, um, yeah. uh, and, you know, and so, uh, but I just remember that playing on one of our highlight films and then, you know, they started playing it in pregame and it just started to like take on its life of its own because we went 25 and one and in the two years that I was lucky to start there. And, uh, you know, this is just how we do. And so yeah, that yeah. it became kind of just, a, it took on its life of its but own. But he reps and, LA too. Yeah. Yeah, big yep. time, so yeah. So, I mean, and then the beat and everything, it just, uh, I mean, it connected, you know, I know the fans loved it too. Well, I'm glad you mentioned, you know, that I, it was a bigger thing, not just you, but for USC in general, that song. And, you know, we know as Seahawks fans, Pete Carroll's all about playing music at practice, letting people express themselves. So how big at USC, how important was that to the culture? Um, you know, letting music be there, letting it be fun. Did that play a big role on the team's success? Oh, it was amazing. Um, you know, we celebrated everybody, um, every every walk of life, every music. You know, it was just just be you, but be your best you. And um, and we accept you. And so, I mean, Snoop Dogg was at every other practice, um, you know, another, uh, his, his album doggy style was yeah. a 93. That, that was probably what got me turned on to rap, you know, along with smoking grooves, um, and actually going to a concert, but, um, you know, so yeah, uncle Snoop was there. It was, it was, it was wild, man. It was, it was great times, but it was, um, uh, we were focused or should I say zoned in on the task yes. at hand yeah, because yeah. it's just, like I said, it became the way we operate, our standard operating procedure. We just win ball games. Uh, 25 and one, the one loss coming in triple overtime to a guy by the name of Aaron Rodgers. Who's he? Yeah. <laughs> I think he, had, he ended up having a you know a couple couple good games down the road. But. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I was actually going to ask, you kind of touched on it, but it seems like the national media is always flummoxed by the idea that Pete Carroll could run teams that have fun and are disciplined. So from your perspective, someone who played under it, how does that happen? Cause people seem to think it's impossible. Well, I think people misconstrue, you know, fun with not working hard. Like it's just all, oh, well, if you're working hard, you gotta be serious and you got, you know, and uh, John and Pete have shown that, you know, you can still grind the ax, but have a good time. You, yeah. you know, they go hard, um, but they get their, get their work done. And I think why you see the, the longevity of their success is because you don't get tired when you're having fun. Oh, I mean, think about, think yeah. about any day. Yeah. You know, I mean, you guys play sports. Um, think about, you know, when you're having fun, you can play all day. And so that's, you know, we've seen like almost a decade of dominance now here in the, in the PAC Northwest. Yeah. And you mentioned that, you know, the game and USC was coming on the scene, but you were also coming on the scene. For those who don't know, uh, Lofa went to University of Maine, not quite as big a school football wise uh, his freshman year. Then he transferred to USC. And so, you know, what was that like coming into there? I'm guessing you weren't getting quite the clout as some of the more highly recruited guys. So, what made you believe you could go on to reach that all-American level? 
Um, I, I never would have guessed that I was going to be an All-American. I had the dream, right? And I mm -hmm. guess that's where it starts. But um, just just studying, you know, hard work and studying is, is really what was the determining factor in, in the success that I was able to have. Had was blessed to have a phenomenal defense. I mean, uh, must have had like seven or eight first, first or second round picks on that, that D-line in those two years. Um, I can probably go back and name all of them. That's how good they were. And so it's just when you're surrounded by that kind of talent, like, you know, your game just keeps going, no pun intended, just keeps, <laughs> just keeps going up. Uh, you take it to new levels and new heights and and you go until you can't anymore. And so that's what, uh, you know, it was fun. You know, I guess a lot of people would think, that, you know, uh, two years like that or back-to-back -back natties would be stressful, but it just became our way of life. And so there was no intimidation factor for you, though, walking in with some of those all-talent, you know? I know no one's going to believe me, but no. Um, and, you know, it's just, I believed in myself yeah. and I believed in what I was doing and, and how much I was willing to sacrifice to, to be the best. So um, I just knew it was a matter of time and opportunity. Um, just keep putting in the work. And um, eventually I got a shot and, uh, you know, it seemed to work out okay. For sure. And you all did have a bunch of success. I know technically that 2004 title is vacated and we don't have to go into that whole incident but i'm wondering as a player does the vacating the title mean anything to you or do you still feel like hey man i was on the field i did the thing i keep that and then i guess as a second part to the question do you think it's fair that you know college athletes don't get to get paid in a sport as dangerous and also profitable as football yeah, no, it's a good point. Uh, but as far as the the actual bowl, um, I still got my ring. So yeah, uh, you know, that's that's <laughs> how I would feel if I was there. I'd be like, you run. can't do anything. I mean, we put it on tape, you know. Yeah. So, um, but it, it is what it is in that regard. Um, and yeah, it, it's it's tough to sit back and see, you know, how much they make. And I know, you know, we're given the opportunity of a lifetime to not only, you know interview for our future boss in the, in the NFL, but also get a degree, which I never got yet. So, you know, I'm just, I'm gonna go, I told my parents, I'll go back and get that. Yeah, but yeah. Um, that's, that's what you're getting in exchange. Right. And I understand that, but it's, um, I mean, how much money some of these, you know, even Jersey sales alone bring yeah. in. Um, and I think at, this is back in 05, we were bringing in somewhere around like six or 7 million a home game. So, yeah. I mean, that's, that's a lot of money, you know, um, and, you know, there's a lot of, you know, number three jerseys and number fives yeah. and number 11s, you know, yeah. and then, then eventually 58. So, I mean, right. and, and so I, I just don't know how fair it is, but it is what it is, right? No, I got you. And yeah, the Madden thing too, you got those numbers showing up with some specific player <laughs> attributes. You're like, huh, where'd they get that from? I know yeah. the name isn't there. Uh, exactly. Yeah. No doubt. No doubt. Well, we'll let that one sit for now. We're going to transition out of this section with Till I Collapse by Eminem, which you listed alongside Lose Yourself. Both those, you know, two of the greatest hype tracks, I think, of all time. So I guess I got to ask, is it is that a pregame song, pre-practice song during the game? How'd that come up for you? Both of those showed up on the uh, the SC playlist, too. Yeah. Um, that and then the other one that we always it was um, was it that Ali one where it's the champ is here yeah is that yeah 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 that one that one too so i mean those are you know three like that 
you know, just became our, our playlist regulars and I took them straight into the NFL with me. But um, the significance of those tracks, um, you know, this is especially like you're talking about Maine, you know, transferring from Maine to to uh, the big time. It, this is your moment, Loaf, you know. Yeah. What are you going to do with it? Yeah. And, um, and so that's that was the significance of that one. And um, and then the till I collapse was just like, what are you willing to sacrifice? Like you got to, you got to leave it all out there. And, um, and, and I did, we all did all my guys. And, um, and that's how, you know, with those sacrifices, I was able to, to uh, leave after two years, you know, the improbable jump from, from one double A to, to leaving for the NFL after two years. That was Till I Collapse by Eminem, followed by some ads. We're going to transition to your time as a pro playing for the Seahawks with Soul Survivor by Young Jeezy. So that was Soul Survivor by Young Jeezy. I actually have two questions about this song. One, thinking about everybody you knew who wanted to play in the NFL from childhood through college, what's it like to be one of the people in the world who actually gets to hear their name and be the sole survivor, so to speak, to actually make it to the league? And two, as someone who's undersized, consistently overlooked, how much soul, as in spiritual soul, do you have to have to make it to that level? Well, I like that. Uh, well, yeah, just um, like I said, since the time I was seven, and I'll never forget it, we were watching my dad play a game, and he hit somebody, you know, hard on a kickoff, and everyone, the whole place erupted, and, and, you know, I just looked at my mom very clearly, very calmly, and I said, this is what I'm going to do when I grow up. Wow. And, um, and my mom, I remember her kind of like double taking and the one person she's always believed in me. So I believed her when she goes, I know you are. And she just said it in the same, everyone else is going nuts, but it's a moment I'll never forget. And, uh, so from that, you know, from that day forward, everything I did was to prepare for the NFL as crazy as that sounds as a seven year old. I mean, I watched football from sunup until sundown. Um, I listened to the commentators. I took notes. I had old notebooks full of draft picks and I, you know, put down the exact order. And then I also put down, you know, who I thought we should have taken, you know, I was a Patriots fan at the time, you know, yeah. watching my dad play. It was uh, a full blown obsession. And, um, and so, you know, it, it was funny because you hear it all along. You're like, ah, oh, well, you know, especially, you know, by, 
you know, not maybe the guidance counselor or a teacher is like, okay, well, it's time to grow up and get some, some real dreams now that, you know, there's no schools coming knocking at my door for you. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Because I wasn't getting recruited. And I, I was like, nah, it's all good. Like I still had a plan. I was like, I'll go walk on, I'll earn a scholarship and, and then I'll go to the league. And like, and for me, I was just like, no, I, I, I know what I'm going to do. And everybody else is like, what is he talking about? <laughs> and uh, so it was, it was uh, funny in that regard, even to the, uh, to the effect that I'll tell you another story. I've only told this one at a time, but um, when I was coming into the league, there was a holdout uh, in a weekend of camp and um, you know, it wasn't over money, not, not yeah. per, per se, but it was over clause. And um I told my agent, I was like, Hey, uh, what about a pro bowl clause? And he nice. was like, he, he laughed. And I was like, just is this your, joke, so this right? is going into your rookie contract into my rookie contract. Yes. And I said, the confidence I, and swagger. I, right. Maybe delusional the most, but I saw it clearly. Yeah. Right? I saw my path and, um, you know, it didn't matter where I was going to go. I just had my mind made up. And so, you know, he was like, all right, well, I'll go tell him. And he told them, and they're like, we don't do that for second rounders. And I told them, they came back and told me that. And I go, well, I should have been a first rounder. And you tell him I said that. Nice. <laughs> and, uh, you know, of course, they were probably like, you know, who is this kid? Like, yeah. like is he serious? The second rounder? I can't. And, uh, but they put one in and, you know, I, I guess that would be the story of how I did go back to the table a little sooner than, than most uh, for a second contract. But um, so it, you know, it was special for me to live out my dream. I think it was more special that I told my parents that, that this was going to happen and, and to live up, to live up to it was, was probably the most special. Uh, And in terms of spirit, man, like I said, from the first year I played, man, I just kept getting my ass kicked. Even, (laughs) even in college, even in the NFL, but you just keep getting back up. Right, right, and yeah. like, such, such is life. It's uh, yo, man, shit happens. No but, doubt. Um, what are you gonna do about it? And so the the amount of spirit or soul. I mean, you know, I was probably an inch or two shorter than the prototypical Mike linebacker, ten or fifteen pounds lighter. But um, with the help of some great teammates, you know, I did the damn thing. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And like like you're saying, you're gonna get knocked down, but if you cannot pour your energy into the failure part of that but the lesson and you're just on to the next thing like to your point you'll have so much more energy and so much more success so I mean that's that's a great lesson and do you feel like that confidence for the coaches and the other guys you know sometimes veterans have a reputation for being a little cranky uh were they do you think that confidence made them respect you more or did you have to kind of work your way and earn that respect for them Oh, you, you got to earn it. Uh, no one's just going to, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, what, uh, where you're drafted. doesn't matter, you know, what kind of contract you sign. Uh, every day you must re-earn the respect uh, because you get better or you get worse every day. And just like you said, um, you know, it's, it's, it's wins and learns is, yep. is how a lot of people like to, you know, um, describe it is it's only a loss if you didn't learn anything. And so with every, every rep that, you know, where I did get pancaked by Larry Allen, the Hall of Famer or Walter Jones, like I would go back to the tape and I'd be like, okay, 
I ran as hard as I could, as fast as I could right at him. But, you know, my, my hands were down. Yeah. Uh, my foot placement was off. So let's go. We're going to try it again. I'm not going to be like, I believe that I can still take this guy on. And, you know, that's just one, you know, instance of uh, where, you know, the confidence, you just continue to build it and you just, uh, you know, things, things go wrong, but you just got to keep fighting, man. No and doubt. So, yeah. I say. I'm glad you mentioned your meticulous nature and sort of preparation and, Hey, I went back, I watched the film. I know you're known for being a, super cerebral player on the field and luckily you were a second round draft pick but in large part because you believed in yourself and I know in a lot of sports people get looked over because they're too slow or too not big enough so how do you measure a player's cerebral ability or ability to learn and those sort of um what do you call them non uh Intangibles. 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 Thank you. How, is there a way that we can do a better job of measuring intangibles? Um, that's a that's a great question. Um, when I watched the film, I was I was you know able to coach for two years uh, after I played, and when I was looking for players, I just looked for guys that never quit, regardless yeah. of the score. You know that that's where you measure the heart, okay? Because there's I've seen a lot of guys, you know, they're down three or four scores and they just they're not running to the ball, they're not giving effort. They're not, you know, it's just, you can tell. Yeah. I mean, you can tell when someone quits. And uh, so that was, a, you know, one of the things I look for. And then also, um, you know, awareness. Does a guy get to the ball faster than everybody else? Um, which is what I was known for, right? Right. Well, how does a 4.840 guy beat these other four fours and four fives? He knows the right angle. He knows where the play is going. Um so those, that's where the smarts come into play. So I could, you know, even when I would circle a guy, you know, on my report and I would wait for the feedback, you know, he'd run the 40 and four, seven, four, eight. I go, yeah, that's fine. I go, he'll be fine. Cause I, yeah. I know he's not, he's not going to quit on you and he's always going to be in the right position. What else are you looking for? <laughs> so did you ever have to go to bat more for those guys? And to that point, do you think it's important for locker rooms or coaches to have, different backgrounds so that you know maybe someone like you is going to bat for this player and if there's not a lofa type guy in that coach's meeting they'll just get missed yeah i mean it's um you know you know largely especially with like no preseason this like i can't imagine all the guys we're going to miss out on mm. but but there's going to be a few yeah. that we look back that that still make it because they just will not be denied um and that's that's what it takes, especially if you're undersized. If you if you're you know you're not as fast as everybody else, you gotta want it more. And uh, and that that jumps out on tape. And shifting gears a little bit, uh, so 2005, we talked about your Pro Bowl that year. The Seahawks also went to the Super Bowl, which is etched in our minds um, as fans. And we still haven't personally gotten over the fact that we feel like the refs completely stole the game. And then on top of that, I think there was a little of a Seattle uh, corner of the country and so it felt like the media didn't even didn't fully even acknowledge that they stole the game so we aren't over it and so we just got to ask you um, does that one still eat at you a little bit or what are your thoughts on that it, it did you know um, but you, you got to make peace with it I mean right you're farther like, ahead you, than us on the journey <laughs> <laughs> I mean there's nothing so this is okay again life if there's nothing I could do to change it 
I'm not going to give any energy to it. Okay. And okay. there, there is, there is nothing we can do. I mean, we can see, that's why I'm laughing. Right. Yeah, you know, yeah, also yeah. Laugh, laugh to keep from crying. But, uh, so there's nothing I can do to go back and change it. So I'm not going to give any energy into it. I, I make peace with it by knowing that it is, I mean, even when like the NFL does the, the countdown on, you know, worst, most controversial calls, it's like up there at like number three or two. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's well documented, but um, you know, I just know that the moment wasn't too big. Talk about an Eminem, you yeah. know, the moment. The moment wasn't too big for me and my teammates that that fought our asses off to get there. And that's that's what you walk away with your head high. Like, you know, we with your head held high that we, you know, we did everything we could to get there. We put ourselves in a great position to win a championship and somebody else not being on top of their game, not zoning in on their game. Yeah, yeah. Was the reason we don't have a ring. Well, it the, is what it is. Well, I like that. You know, even though you didn't get the ring like you did with USC, you you guys did put it on tape, I would say, for those who know. And on that note, because sometimes I think in Seattle, we're like, well, we did get a Super Bowl as a city, so now it's cool. Then I get fan, I'm like, but those players didn't, so that still is a bummer for them. I just want to give you the opportunity for those younger guys. I'm a young guy, but they're younger than me, uh, kids out there. Can you just spit some game? How good... Is Mike Holmgren, how good is Sean Alexander? How good is Matt Hasselbeck? Because I'm telling you, man, this team was full of dogs. Man, um, yeah, you said it. I I remember coming in and like the first couple, two weeks of practice, you know, just it was it was hell because that was the number one. I didn't know they were the number one rush offense, the number one yeah. offense, but the number one O-line, Walt, Hutch, Tobek, Chris Gray, Sean Lockler. Yep. I mean, just savages, like you said. And so, I mean, there's a couple of practices where I had like one tackle and I was like, yo, did I make a mistake? Like, did I, should I, should I still be in college right now? But, um, but yeah. And then the amount of leaders across the board, uh, Bobby Ingham, Joe Vicious, um, you know, Tula Mealy, uh, Ryan Handel, the tight end, like those guys were like extra O-linemen on top of being great tight ends. Uh, Jay Steve, it was, that offense was, you know, a nightmare every day to go against D-Jack, uh, and then the, the MVP and Sean Alexander, if you can get by Mac strong, then you right. get a chance. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you get by Mac and that old line, then you get a chance to hit the best running back in the league. So um, it was incredible. But that, that defensive line that we had, yeah. uh, Chuck Bernard, Marcus Tubbs, uh, Rocky Bernard, uh, Grant, Bryce Fisher. I mean, they didn't get enough credit because I mean, it was, that was the most selfless defense it didn't matter who shined. I mean, I think we led the league in sacks and we didn't have one guy over eight and a half sacks. We had like five or six guys with eight or nine, eight or nine sacks. Um, and you know, what's rare. Cause usually if you, it's one the team leads. Yeah. Usually there's one guy gets like 18 or 20 and there's another guy that's like 15 and then the rest of the defense chips in with like the other 25, but we had 54 sacks and it was like, yo, you didn't know who, where it was coming from. And, yeah. and you know, it was, um, it was a lot of fun too, because after we lost, who did we lose to? Was it uh, DC, right? We, uh, the, the Washington football team. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so after we lost to them, um, I think in overtime, right? I think we were two and two. We just ran the table. We went, we won like 10 or 11 straight. Yeah. Green Bay. 
it's etched in my mind because I remember the Seahawks teams before that were always predicted to do really well, and then they would, you know, 9-7, 9-7. So at 2-2, two and two, we were like, all right, here we go again. And it, I, I even remember the media had kind of moved on from the team at that point. They are like, here's another 9-7 uh, and seven season from the Seahawks. <laughs> and it was like, surprise. And it was just... They were... It was dominant. It was dominant. Yeah. It was like by the first quarter. And I even think I remember Matt Hasselbeck. I watched him say, like, you could see in the defense's eyes they were they when it was didn't over. want it. They didn't yeah. want it. And also, I just want to shout out, because you talked about the selfless nature of the defense. <laughs> One of my favorite guys in a WSU grad, Marcus Trufant, locking it down. He's not mm. even necessarily getting picks because they're just not even throwing his way, which I'm sure he was fine with. But that, that dude was bad. Oh, man. Um, yeah. Ken Hamlin, Marquon Manuel, uh, Boware, Dyson, Kelly Herndon, uh, Jimmy Williams. I mean, it was Diddy Lewis, uh, Leroy. We, it was from top to bottom. Yeah. Um, it, it was, uh, man, just some heavy hitters. And segueing later on into your career, you had like several amazing seasons with the Seahawks. And then uh, you tore your pectoral muscle and then mounted, tried to mount a comeback with the Falcons, ended up tearing it again and i was reading you had eight surgeries related to football uh i'm not sure if that's the exact number but a lot and so you've mentioned zoned in we started it at the intro and cbds have helped you a lot later in your career but you weren't able to take them as a player so looking back on it do you think cbds could have helped extend your career oh absolutely i would have i would have just ended my career a couple of years ago wow. because that's what it's given back to me in terms of uh, even like that, just that warrior nature, that, that warrior attitude that, you know, the span of 10 surgeries. And that wasn't even the worst part. The 15 plus concussions was like, mm. that was the part that really robs you from being you. And mm. uh, so um, I, I know, you know, you know, from the anti-inflammatory standpoint, and um, it's, uh, it's done incredible things just for me presently at 37 years old, I feel better than I was at 27. Wow. And yeah, so I'm excited about, you know, the leagues a lot, NBA, NHL, um, and uh, MLB, they've all taken it off their, their uh, banned substances list, and um, it's, they're, they're looking to it as a treatment, um, as opposed to the anti-inflammatories and the opiates. Yeah, it's great to hear. I've, you know, the opiates, especially you uh, read or hear about guys who, I mean, they literally have destroyed their entire lives and caused their lives to, to end early, so... I think it's awesome that athletes are moving that direction for sure. We're going to finish this section off with Mo Fire by Lil Wayne. You told us you're such a big Lil Wayne fan we could pick any song. We went with Mo Fire because it's one of our favorites, and it also has a bit of a reggae feel, which you told us is one of your favorite genres. Sticking on the reggae theme, how do you get into reggae? I know your dad grew up in Hawaii, so is there an island music connection there? Uh, it's actually my mom. She... She used to listen to uh, Maxi Priest, Shabba Ranks, uh, yeah. you know, just, you know, all of them, uh, Bob Marley. Um, and from there, you know, I started listening to, you know, Damien, Ziggy, Stephen Marley, yep. one of my favorites. Up. And Collie Buds, yeah. So uh, just, you know, there was always a, a healthy mix. That was the, the, the ebb and flow of game day playlists, right? Because every Sunday is different. You don't walk into i have several different playlists there's a couple that are always going to be on it. the ones we mentioned in the beginning they're always going to be on it to bring back a sense of familiarity about you know hey it's time it's time to do what we do but every now and then there's sometimes when you're too worked up 
And, um, and you don't want to be up here all the time. You're going to run out of energy. Yes. You're not going to be able to focus. You need to, it's the balance, right? The balancing act uh, of being able to enter flow state or the zone. So it's, it's your way, uh, athlete's way of zoning in is the playlist and, you know, right before game. So they know what to do. Uh, so uh, Mo fire. I don't know how that plays in, but anything by Lil Wayne, <laughs> I do dig. Um, it, Cause that's the one that you got. How about, do you guys have something to say about that? Cause Lil yeah. Wayne, I want to say drought three. Yeah. The, his, his, where he remixed like everybody's. Okay. I don't know if I know that one. I'll be honest. Oh, uh, okay. Well, I mean, check it out. I mean, when, when I was coming out, when I was in the NFL, I think the Carter, yeah. the Carter two, the yeah. Carter two was, uh, was, was just released. Uh, yeah. Mo fire is on that record. Yeah. And then the Carter three came out after, and then that yeah. took yeah, it to he, a whole new really, level. Yeah. He released those like within a year of each other. I was mm-hmm. still listening to the Carter two mm-hmm. <laughs> before the Carter three came out, but, um, you know, go DJ. That was that was that was a great one. I mean, I got a lot of different cream. Mo To the man up higher I lick a shot to let him know that I'm a rider My dreads hang to let him know that I'm a lion Represent the jungle when the others just trying I represent my mother like, baby stop crying I know my papa gone but guarantee you see her shining Now you are looking at New Orleans finest Now you are being blinded by you That was Mo Fire by Lil Wayne. We're going to segue to your years since retiring from the NFL with Kali Bud's hit, Come Around. Finally, the herbs come around. Me, I quit with me, I look for me, get it by the phone, yeah. Sweet sense, I come around. Me, I take a little and pass it around, so. Finally, the herbs come around. The I quit with me, I look for me, stock it by the phone, yeah. When Babylon, I come around. Ever since the earth slow down, police and road boy, them in a showdown. Them a search round the compound. You'd know a man on a weed clown. Find a little piece of land and a flat me on ground. So tell the youth them not fit set feel. Too much crack and cocaine, I make the world a feel ill, you know. Enough ganja, enough spliff a bill. Only thing we a make man feel still eh, when we say. That was Come Around by Kali Buds. That song has the lyric, finally the herbs come around. And in your case, it's uh, CBDs. But when did the CBDs come around for you? When did you uh, start seeing the health and mental benefits? And then when did you decide you wanted to go into business in that field? Um, Well, it was 2000. I had experimented with hemp and cannabis since I was in my high school years. Yeah. Um, And so... I only left it when I got to, you know, college and the NFL and I was like, okay, I gotta, you, you believe the lies they tell you like, ah, oh, you know, you can't be productive if you're, if you take either. And, you know, it's just the stigma that we're fighting. Right. Yeah. Which is even why we've named zone in zone in to fight the stigma. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, you kick like as a performance enhancer rather than a hindrance, which they're trying to tell you it is. But, um, so when I got out of ball, um, me and Matt McCoy, uh, former Hawk linebacker, um, we had stayed put a little bit and just 
had talked like, hey, this is a new industry, the cannabis industry. And I think he said, he goes, if there's anything, you want to learn something new, you know, life, if you're ever going to learn something, learn something new. Yeah. It's a new industry with unlimited possibilities and just, you know, a chance for us to really get into entrepreneurship. And so we started with just uh, the real estate side of things. And then we eventually uh, developed and took over operations of a cannabis grow tier two over in Duval called 1937 Farms. And this was around 2014 that we acquired those, those lands. And so, but I was hearing more and more about CBD. I just kept hearing CBD, CBD, CBD. And so I was like, yo, what is it? And so I looked into it and um, as it came to find out, there's just so many success stories with people returning to optimal health. Yeah. And so uh, from there, um, when the, for like three years, I was just buying it and handing it out. I was like, yeah, like this stuff is changing my life. Like yeah. I lost 40 pounds. I returned to my 237, you know, my playing weight when I was a rookie. I hadn't been, I've been around 240, 242 the rest of my career, but um, you know, I, I had never felt this good with everything that I'd gone through. And so um, I always had a lot of, and Kali Buds, to bring it back to the music was uh, he, you know, one of the reggae artists that I was, uh, I heard about back in the locker room. It was probably had to be like 2007, 2008 when he came out with his self-titled album, um, Kali Buds. Yeah. And, um, and so that, that song come around was on there. And then lo and behold, the connection here is when I did get out of football and I started getting into the CBD and uh, full spectrum oil, which is what it is. Uh, and returning to, you know, my best self, like on Pandora, I heard that he had released a new album and um, it's uh, that album. I think it was 2017. Yeah. Um, th just so many hits on it where uh, I was like, I couldn't stop playing it. It was uh, the song Save Me From The Rain, uh, Lovely Day. Um, you could just go on and on and on. And it was really about a, you know, coming full circle in a spiritual and health wellness, you know, just like feeling whole again mm -hmm. is how I would, I would, you know, coincide or, or intertwine the two yeah. of my, my love for hemp and cannabis and my love for, you know, reggae music and Kali Buds as a, as an artist. And that album is called Good Life for those who are wondering, which segues well, because it feels like that's when you're getting your good life <laughs> yeah, and he's exactly. got the good life hat on. For those who are wondering what the visual, we got some Kali Buds rep going on right now. So you talk about the getting into the CBD business and that sort of intertwined with you becoming healthy again. Was that desire to sort of fix your body or fix your mind or any number of things, did that play into leaving the coaching path as well for you or what sort of precipitated that move? It did. I enjoy coaching, but I have two young ones and, um, you know, two boys, Kai and Kane, they are nine and six. And at the time it was just, um, you know, something that, you know, you, you only get, you only have a certain amount of time on this world, Never mind, you know, you know, at home with them. And so, you know, make the most of it. And, um, you know, if you don't spend the, the time in, in the young formative years, they're not going to listen to you when they're older. It's just, right. you know, it's like, it's like that relationship, you know, it's not like it has just a, a short window, but to optimize it and, and have two little best friends for the rest of my life, you know, that's, that time is now. And, um, 
you know, I guess a change of perspective, which is jumping into the cannabis space. I didn't know it would change and save my life, you know, completely, utterly different from, like I said, everyone thinks that when they saw me in 05 through 08 were the best years of me, man, like I could whoop that dude's ass right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I'm saying. Just spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically, I feel like a superior being than I was when I was going to the Pro Bowl. And, um, you know, it's given me that foresight and perspective to just really appreciate, you know, um, everything. I've always been grateful for everything that I've been given. Um, you know, always consider myself very blessed, but it's, um, you know, now more than ever, that connection, you know, I, for lack of a better term, is, is higher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it. And Even you, though with CBD, there is you no do getting not, high. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yes. Okay. We should put that out there with CBD. You do not get high, which no. I enjoy because uh, I used to go to sleep. Whereas well, yeah, if I was actually it. high, sometimes not, not as easy for me. And not, some yeah. of the anxiety with the more traditional THC, I mean, that's I never personally just got that into smoking because I wasn't into that. I struggle with that side of it, but the CBDs are a game changer for sure. And like just helping sleep and. and yeah. Well, even I don't, I don't smoke and you know, I know that sounds hypocritical to be in like the cannabis business, but I like to run. And so I do when I ingest my THC on the weekends yeah. or, you know, in my downtime, um, because it is uh, 21 and plus, right. It is right, a recreational right. out here. Um, I, I I'll, I'll eat it inedible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, in either a capsule form or, or a gummy. And for those, you know, you've mentioned the concussions earlier. So like you've talked about how CBDs have, you know, made you happy, healthy, feeling better than you ever have. Um, for like those who don't know, what was the flip side of that? Like, what was it, what path was it saving you from? Oh man, just being in my own way in every, every facet of life and family life, you know, um, you know, thinking there wasn't enough time to, you know, go work out, you know, and, and then, you know, spend time with the kids and, and do everything that I needed to do in work. And so like, I, it has made me so efficient that I, you know, it's incredible that how much time, extra time I have now, and I get everything done that I used to not be able to do, Mm -hmm. which is, which is why we call it zone in, in, yeah. Just totally immersed in the moment. So positive psychology, flow state, known as the zone or zoning in, is um, just being totally immersed in the moment. And just, uh, I didn't know life could be this effortless, put it that way, Um, and and enjoyable uh, at the same time. You know, Uh, it seemed like whether it was work or or family life, it's just like I didn't have enough time. And now, you know, obviously perspective being you make time i get up at 5 a.m when i've never been a morning person and i go work out because the better i am to myself the better i am to everybody else so i get that in i get that energy out um you know we were all think about when we were kids you know we loved to move yeah yeah and and you know i got some theories but you know i think the classroom was probably the worst for me in terms of i struggled to learn and Um, I struggled to sit still. So, um, you know, I really feel like we should have started school off of recess, you know, and then I would have got the energy out. out. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. sure. Yeah, there's no question. Recess was my favorite class. I remember. (laughs) What's your favorite class? Uh, Recess. (laughs) It's like I didn't really struggle with the information, but I struggled to be still in class. It was rough. And I think 
we were actually just talked about this in the last episode we recorded the expectation that you're going to be in one place six and a half hours a day. For me, that was actually harder than college, which people told me would be hard because there's a lot of homework. But I was like, well, I'm only in class two hours a day. I'm down to do the homework. Whereas like the restlessness I would get in class. So with your young ones, any advice that you you give them for surviving the school grind? Uh, Well, now we're homeschooling, right? Yeah. So uh, it is a little different, but uh, yeah, I, one of my coaches, he used to break up meetings. He's like, yo, it's the fact that you can only, I never even fact checked him on this, but he's like, you know, you can only pay attention for 15 minutes. So we would watch 15 minutes and then he'd be like, get up and move around, go get a water, so come back. And it seemed to make the the period go quicker, but also, you know, us obtain a little more, you know, information. So, um, yeah, it, it is. It's unrealistic to have them just sitting at the computer for, for six hours or even, I think it's shortened down to three and a half or whatever by the curriculum, but um, we're homeschooling. It's going well. And, you know, as, as hard as it is perspective, I, I can't be more grateful for this time to spend with them. Yeah, no question. I know it's hard out there for the parents. I don't have any of my own, but uh, it seems like it's a mixed blessing because, yeah, it's probably tough, but having the time with your kids, I imagine, is awesome. Uh, do you see football in the future for your kids? Uh, they better be passionate about it. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, cause I, you know, two boys, uh, just same parents, same rules, same everything, just night and day in terms of personality, in terms of interests. And so, um, I'm doing stuff with my oldest, like music. He loves, he's listened to more Beatles and, nice. you know, Clapton and Elton John, all these, he's introducing me to those and he's nine. So, but we put him in a, he's in a rock band. He does, he does guitar lessons and drum lessons. So it's been incredible learning about something that I have no, I don't know. I don't know anything about, you know, other than I like to listen to music, but I know about film study and all that. So I'm going to teach him how to break down the film of his favorite artists and what makes them special and what makes them, you know, thrive and stand out. And then the youngest, if there's going to be one, it's going to be him. I could see him being a third generation, anything with the ball, football, baseball, basketball, and and he's good. Yeah. Um, and he's got the attitude. He's got the... <laughs> That's the so. most important part. Well, I like that you can teach, even if you can't teach music, you can teach discipline and, and how to go about becoming better at something. So that's pretty cool. You've got the CBD thing going on. And then I also have to ask, you know, a fun tie-in. I think I referenced it earlier, but we met at the Sounders media match. Shout out to my Nightfall family. Uh, I'm wearing the jersey because we were victorious. It was a resounding win. Very (laughs) proud of it. It was. But, you know, Loaf has gotten his share of wins, so it's okay. I think he recovered fine from the disappointment and the heartbreak. Uh, But, you know, your former teammate, Walter Jones, he's done photos for the Sounders. Uh, Your friend, Jose... Moreno is a journalist, former football player, writes about the Sounders. You were at this match. Is there anything, is that a discipline you look to get into in the future, Sounders media or anything of that nature? Man, there was a lot of running on that field. There was. That's what I remember. <laughs> um, but no, they, you know, both Jose and Walt, they have a passion for photography. And that's something I, you know, um, if anything, I think that after watching more, I could develop an eye for, um, you know, the impact moment or, or the zone in moment of each match. But before we go, I got one more story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, hit it. Okay. So speaking about Kali, right? Yeah. So so my my sister, she competes for a dragon boat uh, racing. And uh, me and my mom were on a trip 
driving like I think it was like five hours down to Portland and um I played the uh the good life album for I was like hey just sit back and listen to this like we're not going to talk until after like I mean it must have been an hour hour and a half until the you know it played out but um there was just a sense of peace and calm that you know just went throughout the whole I feel like we passed it on to other cars yeah uh, that that's how powerful it was and my mom was like, wow, okay. Because she had heard of Kali, but she had never heard that, that, that album. And um, and I said, I don't know what it is, but you can't listen to this or any reggae music, like my guy, Stephen Marley. You can't listen to this and be in a bad mood. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't. And so uh, really post games, I'd say it was more crucial for me <laughs> coming off of like a, a tough game or, or a loss even um, just to, you know, compartmentalize what happened and just, you know, get back into the moment. But um, so my mom goes down to Cali, where she's from, San Diego, and she goes to a Kali Bud concert. And she scoops me a shirt. And so she's, she goes, all right, here, I'm sending you up a shirt. So the shirt lands and I'm like, oh, thanks. She's like, yeah. She's like, you should get another surprise in another day or two. You know, just let me know when, let me know when something great happens. And I was like, okay, mom. Like, <laughs> so the next day I wake up and um, you know, I got a new message in my, my uh, Instagram, the, the DM. And uh, it's from Kali Buds. And <laughs> right. So my mom, mom being, it's full circle. Like you, you did cue this up. <laughs> she just being the cool lady that she is. She went there, she got, you know, a, a shirt for me and a hat. Uh, not this one. I bought my own. Uh, but and she um, she spoke to um, the, the the kid Zivin McCarty that was running the, the stand and then also uh, Abel who is the manager he's Kylie's manager and so he's she's like yeah uh, your music changed my son's life you know Kylie's music changed yeah. my son's life and she said I just want to say thank you tell Kylie I said thank you so that story makes it back to Kylie he texts me he's like hey man um, you know I heard you know my my people met your mom. Um, we got a concert up there next month and, and you got tickets if you ever want to go. And I was like, oh, I'm there. Yeah. <laughs> so me and all my boys go. And then um, I got to last October, almost a year ago, um, uh, I got to meet Kali um, and Kiznamdi. He opened up for him and uh, I got to take a picture with them both. It was, it was unbelievable. And then, yeah, that's all. That's my, that's the power of my mom. She just knows people and she's just, she's just that cool. Yeah, that's my mom's awesome. cooler than me. Yeah, I mean, Cypress <laughs> Hill and Collie and uh, at seven years old, believed that you'd make it to the NFL. So awesome mom shout out for this episode. Just killing it. No doubt. Lofa, thank you so much for coming on the show, sharing your journey with us, man. Uh, we do wish you the best in the future. And we are going to play this, you know, full circle talking about good life. We chose Revelation Party by Stephen Marley. It was a real feel good jam. And just hearing your whole journey taking back your life, having those revelations, I I thought it would be a good one to end on. So this is Revelation Party by Stephen Marley. Lofa, thanks so much again for coming on the show. Stay blessed, fellas. I appreciate you having me. Good love mean a night lasts forever. Everyone in a life.